Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. All right, it's always going to be good when you guys start out that way. We're just talking, literally talking about this in the back. When it starts silent, you're like, it's going to be a long 35, 40 minutes. Um, who's kidding anybody? 45 minutes. Um, so I'm glad you're engaged and ready. Um, hey, if you were here yesterday, just piggyback. Thank you for being here, but more importantly, thank you for inviting. Um, we are a church, as we looked at these last two weeks, for the city and the community, and those are one of the ways that we let our community know that we are for them, we do love them. And so thanks for coming strong. Thanks for inviting. Thanks for serving. Thank you if you invited somebody today or if you told them to tune in via unfiltered radio around the state or online. Uh, it means so much that you're invested in that mission. This series is a lot of standalone messages, meaning you can jump in anytime. So if you miss the opportunity, bring somebody with you next week um, for this series that we're launching today called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. Now, I love doing series like these um, that are really super practical, which is my goal for the next uh, four weeks this month. And I love them because it puts all of us on an equal plane. So you're here, not sure about faith, left faith, trying to figure out the Jesus thing, or you follow Jesus your whole life. This is just a human thing, and we all relate because we all want to make better decisions, and we all want to lug less baggage. And so if you are not there faith-wise, this is our kind of common interest over the next four weeks. And I hope that you begin to follow Jesus, but regardless, this is going to help you. So here's what I want to do for four weeks, just bottom line up front. I want to connect the relationship that often is overlooked between really great questions and great decisions. In fact, I would make the argument that the better questions that you ask in regard to a decision, the better the decision is going to be. And so here's where I'm going to challenge you. And like every other series, you don't have to do a thing, but this is my hope. That you would actually ask these questions over the next four weeks. You would answer them, and as we're going to see today, answer them honestly. And then if you're like really an overachiever, you would actually act you would do something, that you would change some things. And I think if you do, if you ask, have the courage to answer and then act, this has the potential, no overstatement, to transform your life, to change some things in regard to your decision-making or maybe a cycle of decision-making that you're trying to get off of. Decisions like you have um, a really secure job and then you're about to take a new career and you're weighing between, do I give up the security for this opportunity? It's a massive decision. You're single, let me just say what you wouldn't tell anybody, it just kind of feels like this could be the last train out of singleness for a little while, and they're not your dream, and yet you're still tempted, like with the decision of, do I go down this road? Um, you're trying to make a decision about college, whether I should go, what I should major in, what the next step for me is as a 25-year-old. And if you've been there before, those are some of the decisions that honestly, they feel so big, they can overwhelm you and even paralyze you. Or you know you've got to have a really difficult conversation with somebody, like a close relationship, and you know that that difficult conversation could end the relationship. Like, what do you do? 
or you're on the verge of a huge purchase and now you guys disagree about whether this is a good idea, you're starting to have second guess, you know, doubts and second guess it, should we go forward with it anyway? But all of those big decisions, kids, life, education, relationship, you're being pressured to go further, faster in that one area and you're not really there yet, but you're so tempted to give in to the pressure of that friend or your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever it is. So like, what do you do? And here's the kind of terrifying thing about all of that is those are the decisions a lot of times when other people tell their stories that end up being the defining moments of their stories. You know what I'm talking about? Well, then I was going along and then I did this and then everything changed for me. But the problem is in the moment, you don't always know that. And then in retrospect, you're looking back and you start to say stuff like, man, what if I hadn't done that in a positive light? Or what if I had done that? How could my life or relationships maybe be different? Or on the other side, man, if I could only go back and, and re-decide that, if I could only go back and, and kind of, you know, tell myself the truth or reevaluate that decision. But here's what I think all of us can agree on at some level. Our decisions at some level make up our life and our decisions determine the direction and the quality of our life. Like it, your, your life is a sum total of your decisions. Now, some of you will push back on that and I get it because you've experienced some trauma or some baggage because of other people's decisions that have hurt you. And so you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm where I am because of what they did. But I would, I would just tell you this and, and maybe in large part you are, but your responses had a lot to do with where your life went, with the quality of your life because even your responses to other people's dysfunction are decisions, and those decisions or those responses really have a lot to say about how you recover or how you move on as a result of what they did to you. So I think for all of us at some level, the direction and the quality of your life is determined by the decisions that you make. And the problem is when you're on the verge of a decision, and let's be honest, you make a lot of decisions, this is what nobody tells you, that you're about 60% sure on. Like, I think maybe all the like, well, God told me, I always get nervous about those people. Um, I am sketchy at best about what God told me or God said. I'm about, I'm, sh I'm shooting for 65%. So there's all of those things, but you get to those decisions and you don't really know what hangs in the balance all the time. Like sometimes, and this is what like can keep you up at night. It's a decade later till the decision is catching up with you. In some cases, you, you guys know this, you make a decision that's multi-generational. It's impacting you. It ends up impacting other people around you. It in, ends up impacting people coming behind you. Like that's how big a deal our decisions are. And I think we could all agree on this. Your decisions are, are going to impact other people besides you. You are not the only person impacted by the decisions that you make around your life. In fact, you're not the only person impacted by the regrets from your decisions. Like there is a ripple effect and it's, it's going to influence, it's going to impact other people. It's not just localized to you. You can't just put it in a vacuum. Those decisions impact a lot of people besides just you. It's why the writer of Proverbs wrote this really insightful verse in Proverbs 27, 12 that gives direction for all of us. Now, I'm going to tell you this verse in a second. Um, I also am going to tell you this was a verse that we, my wife and I included into our wedding. When I read the verse, you're going to be like, that's the weirdest wedding verse I have ever heard in my life. But here's what the writer of Proverbs said. Maybe the wisest man in the world didn't take any of his advice, um, but it's still worth repeating and looking at. He says this, the prudent see danger and take refuge, meaning prudent, wise. The prudent see what's coming 
And don't live as if today is all that there is. They're looking at the outcomes, not just of the immediate, they're looking at the outcomes of the ultimate. And they recognize, this is what wise people recognize that sometimes we forget, that what they do today in the present eventually is gonna be their past and it's gonna influence their future. None of it is just in the moment. All of it's going somewhere. All of it is a direction. All of it is setting some kind of course for your future. And so he says, the wise people actually understand that. They live like that. They think like that. They're looking down the road. They see danger. They see a bad decision. They see that they're selling themselves on a regret and they take refuge. But the simple or the naive keep going, keep deciding, keep convincing themselves and they pay the penalty which I think everybody at our wedding was like wondering if there was some kind of hidden message behind this, if it was an arranged marriage. But like, it's just such an important verse to understand because here's what the second half of that verse means, the naive, basically. The naive gives in to kind of the, um, what I would call amateur sales pitch in our own minds. And all of you have that person. Like you have an amateur salesperson in your head that will want something and will want it bad enough that they will start pitching you on the idea, even though the idea might be a train wreck for you, but you listen to them long enough that you just forget about the future, you forget about the consequences, you forget about cause and effect, you pretend like it's just the moment and somehow you're unique, you're different, your situation is different, and you go ahead with it anyway. He's like, that's what simple people do. But the prudent, the wise, they see danger, they take refuge. Now, here's the thing about all of that. None of that's new information to you. All of you get it. At this point, I should just be able to go, okay, so we all agree, go make better decisions. We're getting out early today. Like, just do better. Okay, we all agree. Nobody gets up one morning and go, I want to make a dumpster fire out of my life starting today. What's the first decision I get? Nobody does that. Like, all, all of us are on the same page of, like, I want better decisions. I want it to work out. I want to do better. So here's why I can't just close in prayer and say, hey, get it together. Because this is the dynamic that all of us deal with that makes it difficult. The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. Nobody, it's a big statement. I don't want to be offensive, but just go with it. Nobody has let you down more than you, I'm guessing. Nobody has lied to you more than you. And you've had people lie to you, and I'm not taking away from him or her, but nobody's lied to you more than you. You, Like, think about it. Of all of the regrets you have, whatever they are, like, we shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have smoked that, like, spring break, you know, 09 was a train wreck. Like, I don't know why we did that, shouldn't have signed on that, interest rate's way too high. Like, whatever it was, all of your greatest regrets, think about this, this sobering dynamic. You were there for all of them. The common denominator around every bad decision that you have ever made is you. You were there for all of it. Like you smoked it, you dated it, you bought it. You, like you were there for all of that. Nobody, last, nobody has undermined your own peace, your own happiness, your own future more than you. Welcome to church. Glad you invited somebody to this series. But we're all there. Like, that, that's me. That describes my life. I'm public enemy number one, and I just need to know that. And other people have made really bad decisions that have impacted me, but I'm just telling you, some total, I still have hurt me more than anybody else has hurt me. And, and the reason is because we are all amazing at selling ourselves 
on really terrible, really bad ideas. And here's the thing that you also know is that when you lie or anybody lies, they erode credibility, right? Like if you've ever been a boss and tried to lead people who lie, impossible. If you've ever tried to be in a relationship with somebody who just straight up lies, it's impossible. There's no way around that dynamic. If you lie, it erodes all credibility. There's no way forward. The same is true of you, and you've never thought about that. And this sounds weird. But when you lie to you about your decision-making, you erode credibility with you. You end up not liking you. You have issues with you that actually manifest in then more bad decisions. Because here's, the, here's what you sane people do. When sane people tell a lie outside, outside of themselves, what I'm trying to say, what do they do internally? They justify. Well, here's the reason, and you know, if anybody knew them or the situation, or again, this is, we always do this. This is unique, this is different, I'm different. And we justify. Justification literally is kind of just a lie. That's all it is. We're justifying a lie most of the time. But sane people want to appease their conscience and want to be okay with them, which is why they do that, because they know when you lie to you enough times, you erode your credibility with you that sets you up for more bad decisions. And then you will believe your truth mixed in with the lie and tell that narrative long enough to where this is the other crazy thing about human nature. What happens? You believe it. Over time, you tell yourself, and there's some truth in there, so it's easy to sell yourself on it. You start to believe your reasons for why you are doing or why you did what you did. And so you get to the place where you can convince yourself of pretty much anything if you want it. Any bad decision if you want it enough. So here, here's what my AA or NA friends have mentioned multiple times, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but it, this is true. The, the only way forward in terms of avoiding regret, unwinding maybe from some of your past, regret, making progress for the future is this, rigorous honesty. Rigorous honesty is the first rule of recovery. It is the only way forward. It is the only way that you're gonna confront, move forward, and make better decisions. Or Put it this way, you have to tell yourself the truth even if the truth makes you feel bad about yourself. Now, real quick, I understand that culturally that's not super popular, and I've never been real concerned about that. But here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying someone, and this someone could even be yourself, but it also may be religious leader or religious environment you grew up in. I'm not talking about leveraging shame. In fact, Jesus is so clear in the New Testament, I don't know how we missed this, when he said, it is actually my kindness that leads people, this is a direct quote, to repentance or to transformation or to change. That is the only lasting way to create change in any human heart. It is to follow Jesus and his way to go. I can do something in your heart that eventually will take over and do something in your behavior. But nine more things or do this or shame you through some religious rules, it never works. It just makes people into hypocrites. And so I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the like sober kind of realization of this is where I am. And if I ever want to get to the future that I want for my life, and if you're a Jesus follower, more importantly, to what Jesus has for my life, then I have to be honest about where I am. Basically, you'll never get to where you need to be until you acknowledge where you actually are, why you're actually doing what you're doing, why you're actually in this place. And here's the other thing real quick. When you lie to yourself about why you make decisions and about why you're doing what you're doing, it'll make it much more difficult to take responsibility for the outcome. 
and we don't see this in ourselves, but this is what has annoyed us about other people at times. When you lie to yourself, you don't feel any responsibility at the end of the day to, to take responsibility for the outcome. And so you actually become irresponsible. The, the, the thought process behind that all starts with, I'm gonna tell myself a story or narrative about why I'm doing what I'm doing that's not actually true. So I feel no compulsion to take responsibility for the outcome of any of my decisions. And nobody wants that. So if you're gonna decide your way into a better future, you have to tell yourself the uncomfortable truth about, around why you do what you do, why you decide how you decide. And so here's the first question I wanna deal with in the four questions in the series, and it's just this. On the verge of a decision, you're in the middle of a decision, you're anticipating a decision, this is the question. Am I being completely honest with me? Are you being completely honest with you? Now, you can lie to everybody else. I, I mean, I, I don't suggest that. That's another series. We'll call it Don't Lie. But even if you lie to everybody else, that's, that's not where I'm, you, you owe it to you not to lie to you. That's all I want you to worry about today. Keep telling everybody else lies. I'm not justifying. I'm just saying we got to take one thing at a time. You at least owe it to you not to lie to you. But here, here's where I'd add a word to the question because here's what I know happens. I ask you that question, you're still lying. I'm still lying. I'm still, I'm, compel, I'm, I'm compelled to give reasons that aren't reasons. So here's the second part of the question. Am I being completely honest with myself, really? So ask it one time, am I being honest with myself? Eh, all of those answers were a lie. Ask it again. Am I being completely honest with myself, really? And here's why you need to add really to the question. Because when you get set on something and the emotion starts to get take over, and your heart starts to move you in that direction, and there's passion, and you want it, and you can find all kinds of reasons, and you're good at talking, so you can convince everybody of your side. When you get to that place, you naturally start giving yourselves reasons that are not actually reasons. And then you do it long enough, because there's a little truth, a little lie, you start to believe the narrative, you believe the lie, and you start to actually think you are deciding this because of these reasons, and in your heart of hearts, you know those are not the reasons you're doing it. That's not why you decided this. That's not why you said yes. Oh, it's no payments for 36 months, but I, I deserve it. And here's all the reasons. Or I swear we can fit a car seat in the back of that sports car. The kids are gonna love it one day. Uh, they're only six months now, but give them another 15 years. They're gonna love this car as much as I do. Like all the things like, oh, I can quit anytime I want, but I just need this. I mean, whatever it is, you start believing a lie and believing reasons that aren't really reasons. And then you know what happens. You get to the other side of the decision. Sometimes a week later, sometimes a decade later. And you say, what was I thinking? And you weren't. I wasn't. I was selling. I was convincing myself of something. Because when my heart starts to want something, when I start to feel the emotion and feel the passion, it is so easy to get so far down the road, it almost feels like you can't turn back. And here's what all of us are after, whether we realize it or not. A lot of times we want happiness. And so in the moment we think that thing's gonna make us happy, but just real quick side note, you know this, but I'm just again gonna say what you know. All of us have experiences that what made us happy in one season, that exact same thing made us unhappy in another season. Which means, once again, you can't be trusted. <laughs> I can't be trusted. 
they'll, they'll get more the happier as we go. We come back for week two. Uh, we, we can't trust ourselves because we'll sell ourselves on anything. And isn't it crazy in terms of the whole happiness quest? There's certain people that got married and divorced for the exact same reason. If you were to boil it, boil it down, they started in addiction and they quit in addiction for the exact same reasons. Because what we think is gonna make us happy one day doesn't make us happy the next day. And so I just wanna say this, and this is kind of just side note, but it's important. If you start to sell yourself on any decision or any idea, you should immediately hit pause. That is a red flag. It's potentially leading you in a direction you don't wanna go. If you find yourself selling, it means you may be trying to convince yourself of a decision that might actually undermine your future. Or I put it this way. We rarely have to sell ourselves on good ideas. Not always, but if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. The areas where you have regret, I'm guessing, the areas where I have regret, I can look back and there's something in me that knew. And the moment I started selling and listening to the amateur sales pitch in my mind, and yeah, but I think it's gonna be okay and I'm different, is the moment that I started moving in a direction I didn't wanna go. You rarely have to sell yourselves on good ideas. And so with all of that, what is crazy to me is there is so much incredible insight around what I just said 2,500 years ago, which is why I love the Bible, by a guy that was court advisor turned prophet that was in this incredible, crazy kind of circumstance and context. And he wrote about what I just said and gave an extraordinary observation and then explanation about every human heart and about why we decide what we decide. And I just want to look at one verse because it's so important. I want to make sure I explain it well enough, and then we'll move on. But here's where the context picks up, because this is really what makes this verse, I think, most powerful. Jeremiah was the court advisor term prophet. Prophet in 600 BC was basically a spokesman for God. I'm setting you up as prophet. You're going to speak to the people on my behalf. And specifically, Jeremiah would speak to the nation of Israel, which was kind of God's chosen people, which just meant God made a covenant with them for a specific time in history that eventually would expire. And that covenant would be to show off to the world what it's like to have relationship with God or Yahweh as they described him. And so God wanted them to obey him, to follow him. And as they did, it would go well for them and ultimately would show off to the world. This is what the one true God is about. This is what he's like. And so Jeremiah was that guy to constantly warn the kings and help kind of prod them and move them in the right direction. And the issue was they never listened. So Jeremiah would come, he would do his thing. Hey, God said this. They're like, that's great advice. Not gonna do any of it. And so Jeremiah would just keep warning. And then eventually in around six, this maybe 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, Nebuchadnezzar, who was leader of Babylon, decides to go into Egypt, conquer Egypt. Then he goes into Israel, Judea, and conquers Judea. And he takes the current king of Israel and replaces him with a guy by the name of King Jehoiakim. And then Nebuchadnezzar gives very specific and detailed instructions to King Jehoiakim. Just so you know, you've got the title. You have no authority. You have no power. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody's going to defeat me. Um, Basically, you're going to be a vassal king. You're going to pay me tribute. I have final say. Do not step out of line and do not think that you can do anything outside of my purview go. So Jehoiakim was like, yeah, yeah, I hear that. And then in like a minute, he decides to like bring together some kind of rebellion with the bright idea that he's going to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so Jeremiah comes in again to another Israel king to say, hey, this is a bad idea. Number one, it's Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if you know about this guy, but he collects kings as a hobby. 
which Nebuchadnezzar did. I mean, that was kind of his whole goal. I'm gonna collect kings. I'm gonna capture nations. Your army is outnumbered about 500 to one. There's that. And even if that weren't enough, that's not even the real issue. God has made a covenant with Israel. It's a big deal. And so you guys have stepped outside of that. You've disobeyed God. You've tried to do things on your own. And it's not gonna go well for you. God has given you a very specific instruction about what you're to do. And if you follow him, he's gonna do something extraordinary through the nation of Israel, but you haven't followed him at all. So Jehoiakim, don't do this. Jehoiakim's like, I hear you. And then he goes and leads a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar and he gets crushed. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes back in and he you know, removes Jehoiakim and he names a new king, King Zedekiah, goes through the same speech. Hey, Zedekiah, just so you know, you're a vassal king. You have no authority. I'm in charge. There is a litany of kings that has not gone well for them. Do not step out of line. Do what I say. Are we clear? Zedekiah's like, gotcha. Nebuchadnezzar leaves. And Zedekiah's like, you know what? Is a really good idea. Despite the fact that this hasn't worked about 17 times, I'm gonna be different. I'm unique. I'm smarter. I'm gonna go to the king of Egypt because all we needed is an alliance. And if I go to the king of Egypt, we're gonna band together. We'll defeat Nebuchadnezzar. So Jeremiah hears again, comes into King Zedekiah and is like, are you stupid? Like, are you seriously, he didn't say that, but are you seriously considering this again after all that's happened and all the ways that it's gone wrong for other kings? And Zedekiah does what we want to do sometimes when somebody wants to oppose a decision that we're already set on. They're like, Jeremiah, I'm tired of hearing you. And he throws him into a well or a cistern. And then you, re- you should read the story for yourself, which is part of my goal is to inspire you to read the Bible. I don't have time to read all these verses, but they throw Jeremiah in. It's a hilarious part of the story because Jeremiah just keeps preaching and just keeps warning in the bottom of a, a well. Like, it's not going to go well for you, I'm telling you. Just the whole time. And so finally, like, throw him in prison. We don't even hear from him. And Zedekiah goes in with the king of Babylon, tries to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't go well. He gets beat down. In fact, this is kind of out of an episode of Ozark. They take Zedekiah, kill his family, make him watch, and then they pluck out his eyes. And Jeremiah's like, I told you, you shouldn't have done that. And Jeremiah, this is the context, watches king after king after king after king convince themselves of dumb decisions and then deceive themselves with reasons around why it's going to work. So Jeremiah, with that being the context, sits down and he kind of gives this to the nation of Israel, but he gives it to, to all of us, to the broader humanity, this incredible observation and this incredible explanation. He says this in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And you should just know that. You're like, well, my mom said that was pretty good. Your mom lied. <laughs> I just like, no, you're a good kid. I, but listen, this is everybody. Like nobody's immune from this. The heart is deceitful above all things. And he uses deceit, not dishonesty for a reason. Because a lot of us can, we can kind of spot a dishonest person a million miles away. Like you just can't ever trust them. They're always telling a lie. It's always shady. But deceit is much different. Deceit is difficult to to detect because there's just enough truth in there that it can bait you into believing it. And over time, you start to convince yourself that that's actually the truth. So here's what Jeremiah is saying in regard to decision-making. It means on the verge of any decision, you should just know this about you. You have an endless capacity. I have an endless capacity to deceive myself. 
You have an endless capacity to deceive yourself. You will want something, you'll feel it, you'll think it'll make you happy, and then you will go find reasons to support the decision, even if it's not the actual reasons. And the problem is you're convincing. Your heart is dangerous because it doesn't just lie to you. Your own heart that should want the best for you, my own heart that should want the best for my future, deceives me. So he's like, your heart's deceitful above all things. And then if that wasn't enough, and beyond cure, Jeremiah's like, you can't fix it. You cannot cure it. You can't, this is really important because I think this is the way we think. I'm educated, I'm, you know, I'm mature, I'm, I'm spiritual. None of that matters. This is the one area where it's just everybody's on an equal plane. You're not gonna educate your way beyond it. You're not gonna read your way beyond it. You're not gonna enlighten your way beyond it. You're not gonna pray your way beyond it. I don't care how spiritual you are, amazing golf clap for you. You are not going to be spiritual enough to move beyond it. This is a human condition that is permanently broken this side of heaven. And Jeremiah is like, if you're not proactive and aware, it's gonna lead you in a direction that you don't wanna go. And then again, if that isn't enough, he just gives us one more right punch to end the verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And then a rhetorical question, who in the world can understand it? Good question. Not me. Not you. Not Jeremiah. Basically, this is the dynamic where you make a decision where in some cases you were so sure in the moment it was the right decision and get on the other side and go, I don't understand why I decided what I decided. Like, well, how could you not know it was you? You made the decision. But we get in the moment, we give ourselves reasons, we lie to ourselves, and then we get to the other side to go, how in the world could I have done that? What was I thinking? How could I have been so dumb? Jeremiah's like, that's the posture of every human heart. And listen, nobody's immune. It's why you watch really wealthy people, and for some reason you think that wealth should come some form of intelligence or wisdom. You watch wealthy people or high IQ people make absolutely dumb decisions, right? Because Jeremiah's like, nobody is immune from this. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's why you do things that you would never advise somebody else to do because the hardest person in the world to lead is the person in the mirror. The hardest person for you to control is the person in the mirror. The hardest person for you to lead in the direction that actually is gonna be best for your future is actually the person in the mirror. And in, I'm just telling you, and unless you force them to tell you the truth, they will not tell you the truth. Unless you look at you in the mirror and force them eyeball to eyeball, you are going to answer this question. They never will, and you'll sell yourself on bad ideas. And the question is just this. Am I being honest with myself? Really? Legit reason. Why am I actually considering this? Why am I actually doing this? Why did I actually do that? And here's what I know. When you begin to move in this direction, that honesty can be liberating. Because here's what you probably know about lies. Lies, when they are hidden, lies, when they're kept in the dark, always gain traction. When you continue to tell yourself a lie and give yourself reasons that aren't reasons and keep that internal, it actually gives you energy to continue to move in the wrong direction. It's the fuel that you need to have passion around a bad idea. 
It's the energy you need to keep going in that direction when something in the back of your mind says, I don't think this is gonna end well. And the longer you keep it hidden, the more you gain traction. But the moment you expose the lie, that's why honesty is so important. The moment you expose the lie, it loses power. You see it for what it is. And all of a sudden, you don't have as much energy to move forward with a bad decision. You're like, I've been selling myself on this and it's not, that's not really why I'm doing it. Honesty has the potential to give extraordinary clarity around where you are and where you're actually headed. But here's why we don't do it, and I get this. That same honesty can also be extraordinarily terrifying. Because here's what intuitively most of us know. When we get honest about why we're doing what we're doing, we get honest about our decisions. In that moment, we become accountable, right? Here's why I'm actually doing this. Here's what I actually need to do. So here's what I want to do, and I don't even know if this is possible. But I want you to let yourself off the hook. I'm not asking you to do anything because I know how big a deal honesty is in terms of your future. So here's what I put in my notes. You owe it to yourself to know, even if it points in a direction you don't intend to go. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to decide anything. Pretend you're not accountable. Because listen, knowing is not going to hurt you. Not knowing, refusing to know, that has the power to hurt you. That has the power to sabotage a relationship in such a way that you didn't even see it coming until it feels too late. That has the potential to lead, and this is what is so like insidious about this, to lead you in a direction that you don't really take stock in where you're at until about a decade into it. Not knowing has the potential to give you energy to move in a direction that's undermining everything that you had dreamed about. And if you're a follower of Jesus, because this is a big deal, his destiny, his desire, his will for your life, you owe it to you to know even if it leads you in a direction that you don't want to go. Just take the pressure off and just be honest. Like for real, like whatever it is, like you bought the big house, Tons more square footage, you couldn't afford it. You're like, but I think we're gonna start having missionaries over and we need more space. Just be honest, you don't even know any missionaries. That's not why you bought the house. (laughs) Just say it, even if it's like uncomfortable. We bought it because it's bigger and I like it and it's too much money, but that's where we're at. We haven't invited a single missionary over to the house, all right? Like whatever, you, you, you stepped out of that career and into this one and it is a massive strain on your family right now, but you're doing it for them. It's the whole reason you chose it. And it wasn't. And I'm sure you're gonna figure it out and work it out, but, but start by being honest. It wasn't about them, it was about you. Hey, this, I don't know why I feel led to say this, but like evangelical Christian kids, you know, God did not tell you to break up with them. Just stop. You, this is offensive, but it's what you were thinking. You found somebody that was hotter and like you didn't want to tell them. And so because you go to church, it's so easy to use the God card that God told you to. Could all evangelical kids, there's a ton that listen via radio, could you stop using God as a lame excuse to break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend? He did not tell you to do that. So what's, what's the actual reason? I don't know why there's so much angst around that. I just feel like it needs to be said. <laughs> Let's get tired of it. He, if you got really honest, this is more what it would sound like. I've been, I've been telling myself these reasons. I've been rehearsing this narrative in my head, and I'm not going to tell anybody else this, but if you want to really know why I made that decision, I'm insecure. 
And nobody's going to know that, but that's why I did that. Or honestly, if you want to know why I finally considered that thing that I had said no to for like the last eight years is because I'm afraid and I feel like I need to control some things. The only thing I feel like is in my control. And so I made this decision because I'm afraid. No, no, you want to know why I did this? You know why, why I'm considering this? Because I'm self-medicating. And nobody knows it. I've actually convinced my friends otherwise, but it's the reason I'm making the decision. Or getting really honest would maybe sound something like this. You know what? I, I don't feel really good about myself. And so it's why I'm considering saying yes to this. Or kind of embarrassing, wouldn't tell anybody. I'm making this decision because I'm still trying to earn the approval of my dad. I'm still trying to keep up with somebody that doesn't even know that we're in a competition. And that's actually the real reason that I'm making this decision. You got to ask yourself, am I telling myself the truth or am I selling myself on a regret? And then you need to, I think this is going to sound weird, get in the mirror out loud or journal. I mean, whatever you got to do. And you've got to begin to be uncomfortably, brutally honest about why am I doing or considering what I'm considering? Because the dynamic that I just described, it's not going away. You're going to struggle with it for the rest of your life. But this is the means to gain clarity around your decision-making. So as we get ready to conclude, I wanna give you a couple questions to get you started. One of these might be relevant to you. Three of these might be relevant. None of them might be relevant, but you're smart enough to do this on your own. But this is the questions that I'm talking about. Why won't you tell her or tell him the truth about what's going on, dot, 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 really? I know you've given reasons, but we're talking about the reasons behind the reasons. Why, do you, why did you file for divorce, Really? We know what you said, but the actual reason. Why are you taking this job, really? Why are you quitting your job, really? Like legit reason, the actual reason that nobody maybe even knows about. What's the real reason that you've moved in or the real reason that you don't call your kids, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister? You don't have to do anything, but what's actually going on? The real reason I won't help my parents is, why are you, because man, we are so prone to this and then it manifests itself in 14 Amazon boxes on our doorstep before we know what we bought. Why are you buying that, really? And you don't even remember that you bought that. Why will you not get help, Really? And you've got reasons, and yeah, 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 and that, that, yeah, that sounds legit. Yeah, I get all that. But you know those aren't the reasons. Why do you continue to go out with him or her, really? So whatever, whatever the question is for you, but here, here's what I promise you, and you, you can kind of sense this already. It's brutal. It's terrifying. Sometimes I just don't want to know. I'm good. But I'm telling you, if you have the courage to ask it and answer it honestly, it is also liberating and clarifying. Because here's what is taught all throughout the New Testament. When you see yourself in light of reality, you become in that moment a candidate for God's amazing grace, no matter how dumb your decisions have been in the past. 
But here's the only prerequisite, and you need to know this, and this is so liberating. Jesus invited us to follow, and his invitation was not clean it up, get it better, undo your past, see things all the way that I see them, believe all the right stuff. This was the simple but hard invitation of Jesus. If you want to follow me, if you want to surrender to me, here is the prerequisite. This is all it takes. I want you to come to me with honesty and with humility. This verse, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and in the right time or the right season, God will lift you up. God will lift you out. The only thing he desires because nobody has any ability to get it right. Jeremiah 17, 9 applies to every single person on this, in this room or everybody who's listening and watching. All of us are in a place where our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked and we need help. And so Jesus says, the moment you humble yourself, the moment you are honest with yourself, that humility... That honesty invites God's activity. I get you can't do it on your own. I understand you already screwed it up. I understand that there's some past and there's some baggage that you're trying to unwind from. Welcome to the story of humanity. It's why you needed a savior who came. And now all I'm asking from you, Jesus would say, would you come to me honest about where you actually are? And would you come to me with humility that you need help and you can't do it on your own and you can deceive yourself into anything? And the moment you do, it is like opening the door and inviting God's activity into your life, into your decision-making and into your future. And when you do that, when you get honest, you might experience a verse that you've heard a thousand times in a different way than you've ever heard it before. A verse that is generally misapplied every time that it's taught. But you will know the truth. And you'll know the truth about you. And that truth will liberate you. That truth will set you free. So here's what I want to ask you. And I want you to decide as we just launch this series to just look you in the mirror and determine, I will not lie to myself even if the truth makes me feel bad about myself. I'm going to confront it. I'm going to face it down. I'm going to be honest. And it's going to be tough initially. But on the other side of that is freedom and liberation. Because you're not getting away from Jeremiah 17, 9, but you get the ability to choose. I get the ability to choose that I'm going to see danger. I'm going to see the future. And I'm going to take refuge. And I'm going to avoid some of the avoidable regret that life offers. And the moment you get honest, the moment you surrender yourself with humility, you invite God's activity to transform your life. And don't be confused. At the end of the day, great decisions, they're great. Following Jesus is the epicenter of what God has for your life. And we've said this so many times, but I'm gonna end with this again. Following Jesus is just better. And there's no, there is no promise, as I've said a thousand times, of pain-free, problem-free, but there is the promise. If you follow me, I'm offering you life to the full. And whatever you think you can squeeze out of that decision that maybe is in opposition to what I want for your life, I'm just telling you what I'm offering is better. What I have for you is better. Because on the other side of the painful truth, I'm gonna meet you with the full measure of my grace. And where you are in that place following Jesus, there is peace, there is contentment, and there is joy. Am 
I being honest with myself, really? Would you guys stand with me? And I just want to pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I know that this hits a million different ways among the thousands listening via radio and online, those who are in the room. So I just pray you would do what you are so good at and you would be specific to speak to our own hearts about how this is relevant to us. And I just pray that we wouldn't get too far down the road around what this means. I know for some immediate anxiety rises to the surface around a decision, but I just pray that we'd start with this invitation, just be honest and invite you in, even if we don't plan right now to do anything about it. And that maybe for some of us, you would surprise us and you'd begin to transform us and you'd begin to undo and redo some things and set us up for the future in ways that we never could have imagined or controlled on our own. And so we just make this declaration, we need you. We humble ourselves before you. We wanna be honest with you. And in that declaration of honesty and humility, God, we are asking for your activity, your presence, your power. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.